And we welcome you into a Week 10 edition of Saturday Tailgate here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Nick Kale, Marquise Munson with you, leading you right up until kickoff here on the first Saturday in November. The calendar has rolled over to November, Marquise. It is officially crunch time in college football. We are heading down the stretch. Man, rivalry week. That means the college football rankings is going to come out. This means Alabama LSU next week. We got the biggest cocktail party today. We've got Heisman talk, and this is when all that stuff starts to ramp up. Man, this is – but the closer it gets to December, the closer the end comes. So this is the month that if you didn't get to enjoy college football in early September and maybe you started getting into it in late October, this is the month that you need to pay attention to college football because this is the crucial month. This is the month. This is the last big month of college football, man, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, yesterday was my wife and I 11-year anniversary, right? 11 years married, and to your point with college football coming down the stretch, And yeah, I know there's a lot of buys this week. Nine teams in the top 25 have a week off. But you know what? Savor every moment of it. Because that is what I did last night. Did I take my wife out for our 11-year anniversary? No. What did I do? I watched UConn and Navy on a a Friday night. UConn, a 26-point home underdog, defeated by over 40 points last night. And I said, honey, I'm taking in bad college football. (laughs) <laughs> and see, I'm not taking you out. See, I'm going to come to your defense, but obviously this is coming from someone who is living the single life, so I have no obligations to anybody when it comes to this time of year. I feel like celebrating an anniversary should be the five-year gap, the the five-year anniversary, the 10-year, the 15-year, the 20-year, 25, so on and so forth. I let, like I can I can imagine your wife's not going to remember what you guys did during your 11th year anniversary. Now her friends may tell her something completely different. Oh, they all hate me anyway. Oh, he's a Oh, he's going to he's going to disrespect you. He's going to just not he's going to watch Alcorn State football over going out on a date with you and no. As this is why like if I get married, I'm going to get married in one of the most irrelevant months of the year, which is usually like end of June, early July, where there's nothing going on. I don't I don't really care what's going on in MLB. But just so you know, word of advice. Once you do get married, you become irrelevant. Just be, just be prepared for that. That is true. Your life, your relevancy <laughs> is no longer applicable to the story of Marquise Munton. You're an afterthought in your own story. Like, look, I know you want to watch UAB football, but we have to take the kids to this little dance recital, and you can't watch UAB football. That is correct. I'm like, why the, Why not? Like, mm-hmm. it's UAB football. No one else is watching it. Yep. Why can't I watch it? All right, let's get to the Saturday Spotlight. It's time. This is all time. For the Saturday Tailgate Spotlight. It's our time to shine, baby. Shining a light on the biggest matchups this weekend in college football. All right, Marquise, five games in the spotlight this week, and we start off with the biggest one of all. It is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, and I don't care about political correctness. It'll always be the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, despite what suits try to tell you 13 years ago. We got a chance. It is now the Georgia Florida rivalry. No, it is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Number eight, Georgia, one loss on the season. Number six, Florida, one loss on the season. The winner takes a sizable controlling lead in the East. I'm calling this game an elimination game today. No, absolutely it is. And if any millennial tries to change his game and call it the Florida-Georgia line, I will I will probably lose my mind. But no, this is the biggest game, I think, in the SEC East, and especially 
looking at the landscape of the SEC in general because a one-loss team in the SEC can still make it to the college football playoffs. Matter of fact, I think two SEC teams with one loss could make it to, and obviously maybe Alabama, one of these teams is going to be undefeated. I think either LSU or Alabama is going to go into it undefeated, but they're going to go into the SEC championship game undefeated. But when you look at Florida, you have to think the way, and let's go back to that Miami game and, and how awful they played in that game and how we talked about, man, this offense just doesn't look like they're a playoff caliber team. This is not a t- and then now all of a sudden we look back at this. Felipe Franks gets hurt, unfortunately. Kyle Trask enters, and this team all of a sudden has an opportunity that if they beat this Georgia team, looking at the rest of their schedule when they have teams like Vandy and Missouri mm-hmm. and and Florida State, then that's the rest of their schedule. This is the perfect opportunity for them right now to win the SEC East. Now Missouri is going to be a tough matchup, despite you know what you saw in that Vandy game. Missouri's still a good offense. They still have a good defense as well. So that's obviously going to be a tough task at hand as well. But when you look at Florida, this is a golden opportunity for Dan Mullen. Probably the biggest opportunity he's had since he had Dak Prescott at Mississippi State, and they were ranked in the top five, and then they went into Tuscaloosa, played Alabama, and then obviously— 2014. Yeah, absolutely, and then Alabama ended up beating them. So I think this is the biggest opportunity Dan Mullen has had at making it to this this opportunity, and especially when you have a vulnerable Georgia team that's coming off of two games where one of them they lose to South Carolina and another one they look sloppy against Kentucky. This is a chance to take down a vulnerable Georgia team that's not looking like the Georgia team going into the season that we expect it to be a boat race, easy race towards the college football playoffs. Uh, I think, and look, this is a rivalry game, so you shouldn't have to do much to get your kids up on either side of the spectrum, Florida or Georgia. But if I'm the head coaches for these two teams, there's two different ways I'm selling this game to my kids. If I'm Georgia and I'm Kirby Smart, I'm selling the disrespected and forgotten card. We had a bad loss against South Carolina. Monster favorite. At home, we lose that game. Okay, that's fine. We haven't looked great since. People are forgetting us. Let's remind them that a lot of people thought there was only three teams that could win the national championship this year. Bama, Clemson, and some people thought Georgia could be that third team. You sell that to your kids if you're Kirby Smart today. On the other side, if you're Dan Mullen, you're saying, look, boys, we've been through the wars this year. We've already played LSU. We've already played Auburn. This is just another big-time game, and we are already conditioned for this moment. Nah, and, and even going back to Georgia and the disrespect factor, just look back at that Notre Dame-Georgia game. We're not giving Georgia any credit for that win at all. I think that game went more so we respect Notre Dame for going into that hostile environment and keeping that game close throughout. We don't even mention the fact that that's one of Georgia's biggest wins of the season so far. So even the disrespect factor of even when we beat a ranked opponent, we didn't play well enough and we didn't beat them you know, badly enough to where people would be like, okay, we respect this Georgia offense. We respect, you know, how good this team is. So it's a disrespect factor on both ends. And same thing like what I said, you know, previously of Dan Mullen after that Miami-Florida game, a lot of people kind of chalk Florida as one of those teams that's going to get by in the SEC East, but a team that's not going to defend or or not going to be able to compete for a title in this division. And now all of a sudden you have one of the best defenses in the SEC, maybe even in the country, along with Auburn, and Georgia has a good defense as well. And you're on a second-string quarterback, and he has you in a position where you can possibly win a divisional championship. So 
both both teams and both coaches are going into it with a disrespect factor of look, you know, a lot of people after that South Carolina game do not does you know people don't think we should be in this position anymore. They don't think that we're the favorite, you know, going into the college football playoffs anymore. Mm-hmm. And then with Florida, they're looking at it as look, a lot of people didn't even expect us to be here after that Miami game, even though we won that game, you know, comfortably, you know, it was twenty four twenty. That game was pretty much lopsided to the end. Yep. So it's just both of these coaches are coming in there with a disrespect. Now it's a chess match to see which coach outweighs the other one. Elsewhere today in the Saturday Spotlight, the best game you're going to get prior to Florida-Georgia is Notre Dame and Virginia Tech today. It's a one thirty kickoff. Virginia Tech 5-2 and two on the year. They go to South Bend. Notre Dame also 5-2 and two on the year, currently ranked number 16. And this is a really interesting spot. You talk about motivation and when you get a certain team at a certain time on a schedule. Notre Dame, second loss last week. They lost to Michigan. They're now out of the college football playoff picture. How do they respond? against a Virginia Tech team that has won three in a row. They're coming off of a six-overtime victory over North Carolina, but Virginia Tech had a bye. So that riding high, feeling good, rested, and now they go into Notre Dame believing that they're going in the right direction. Does the Irish not show up today? Do they have one of these letdowns coming off of Michigan where they know at best they're looking at a New Year's Six game? Well, I don't, I don't think so because, you know, the last time Notre Dame has been in this situation to where they had to bounce back from a loss was the Georgia game. And then the following week they play a team in Virginia who, you know, that, that team obviously is not the best team in the ACC, but, you know, they still were competitive at the time when mm-hmm. Notre Dame played them. And Notre Dame ended up winning that game by 15 points. Now, we look at this, v, this VT team, they still have a chance to compete for an ACC Coastal title so obviously they're going to come in here and they're going to have a lot of focus. They still got Wake Forest and they still got Virginia on their schedule. So they know they still need to gather up some wins and gather up some momentum. And this is a perfect opportunity. You know, when you go against a team like Wake Forest who has a good offense, when you're going against a Virginia team, that's a rivalry game. So either way, that game can swing on either side. You know, this is a good game to, you know, like I said, take in, in the vulnerable factor of this Notre Dame team mentally may not be in it. And if you see that in the first quarter where they're mentally not in it, Ian Book is, you know, missing passes and their defense is playing, you know, not playing the way they're they're capable of playing, then if you're a VT, you can take advantage of that, get a big win against a top opponent. But the problem is, you know, Notre Dame in these situations, you know, they're 15-0 and at home, 15 straight, and they're 19-0 and against ranked opponents. So, and I think they can make it 17 today or 16 today and I think they get the win. So, you know, d- despite all that, despite the mentality that I think, you know, Virginia Tech is going to go in with in this game, I still think Notre Dame is the better team on paper, so I think Notre Dame gets the win at home. Two big games in the Pac-12 today is going to be a part of our Saturday spotlight here on Saturday Tailgate. If the Pac-12 is going to get a team into the college football playoff, it'll either be Oregon or it will be Utah. We'll start with Utah, number nine uh, on the in the country, seven and one on the season. They go into Washington. Washington and Jacob Eason have already lost three games, but Chris Peterson is a fantastic coach. Utah better have their A game today. They, I think, are by far the better team, but this is a tough spot in a tough environment. Would be a huge upset for Washington and would be an elimination game for Utah from a playoff standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And that loss to USC is going to kick them in the foot, man, or kick them in the backside because, you know, that's obviously going to be a tough loss. They could have they got that win and then 
could have been undefeated going into this game. And obviously, this is going to be a tough road game. But I think Zach Moss has a big game in this game. I think he rushed for 115 yards and two touchdowns last week. And this is going to be – and then their next three games is obviously UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado. So when you have – and I'm not even going to call those games a cakewalk because when when we get down to this month in college football, I don't think any games a cakewalk. You know, we've seen you know 21 and 28 point underdogs get the victory. Illinois, you know, Wisconsin. Three, for three straight weeks, a top 25 team has been favored by three touchdowns and loss. Absolutely. So, and and when I look at Jacob Eason and how he was able to play in, in that Oregon game, that Oregon Washington game, that could that could have went either way. You know, and I think Jacob Eason still played well in that game. The defense still. You know, they were unable to stop Justin Herbert at certain points of the game, but they still caused a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on Justin Herbert as well. So that defense is still really good, and, and I think Jacob Beeson can do a lot with this offense. So this is not a game that Utah's going to go in with, you know, thinking that, you know, this is going to be an easy win. This is a 5-3 and three Chris Peterson-Washington team, but <laughs> still good on defense, you know, still have some, some holes on offense that they need to work on, but Jacob Beeson can get the job done. But, you know, the Utah defense is pretty tough. Zach Moss is tough to stop, so... I, I think Utah ends up running away with this. Speaking of the Ducks, seventh ranked Oregon, seven and one on the season. A seven o'clock kickoff tonight as they go to the Coliseum to take on five and three USC. Reports coming out yesterday that USC is quote all in and will do whatever it takes to get Urban Meyer to be the head coach. If you're Clay Helton, you're not really enjoying those reports, those rumors, those headlines. USC five and three, but if Clay Helton wants to at least put those rumors on the back burner, if it's even possible at this point, a monster signature win against Oregon would go a long way. No, nah, absolutely. And he's got these wins. Like He beat Utah earlier in the season. And and it's kind of sad to see a little bit because, you you know, usually when you fire a guy in a season, it's usually they're not having a good season. I mean, case in point, Willie Taggart um, at FSU. But, you know, and his team is fighting. His team has had injuries at quarterback. They've had three, at least three or four quarterbacks play this season, and you know it's been a tough road for him. And you know, and I think it's going to be hard for you know him if he wins this game to know that he did everything that he could to possibly keep his job, and then he still doesn't. And and he, obviously he'll get a job somewhere else. But if he does win this game, and and they end up going with Urban Meyer as well. But if you can get a coach like Urban Meyer, you know, no offense to Clay Helton, you're winning games. You have us in a position to where we can possibly win a Pac-12 championship. But at the end of the day, man, if we can get Urban Meyer, we're getting Urban Meyer. Exactly. And, and just for the recruiting basis, you know, for that and for his coaching mm-hmm. abilities, I think if you're going to get Urban Meyer, that's a perfect opportunity. So sorry, Clay Hilton, if you win this game, unfortunately, we got to move on, though. Coming up next, we will get to our SEC swing where we'll feature all the games in the conference today as well as another rumor and report coming out about one former Coach in the SEC. He might have resided in the town of Knoxville. I'm just saying. We're back after this Saturday tailgate. Nick and Marquise, ESPN 1025 The Game. It is Saturday tailgate. Good to have you in Week 10 edition. Nick and Marquise live here on this Saturday, ESPN 1025 The Game. Coming up later today, pregame at noon for the Preds and the Rangers. That'll be followed by Ole Miss and Auburn. And then on 94.9 Game 2, MTSU and Charlotte with pregame at 1.30. And then Nashville SC playoff action pregame at 6.45 as they take on Indy 11. We will get to the swing around the SEC in just a moment, but quickly, college game day today is in Memphis. 
And how great is this? They tried to get Justin Timberlake to be the guest picker. They didn't go to Penny Hardaway, although he's in attendance, he's in the crowd. So who do they get? Who's your second option? Jerry the King Lawler. (laughs) I mean, in fairness, Jerry the King Lawler is a legend in Memphis. You're going to have Corso and the King making picks today. Loser leaves town match. I, I think we skip our picks, with all due respect to our show. And we just pot up the television and let and we just carry that live on this show because that'll be far more entertaining. With all due respect to the two of us, no, absolutely. But and, and I don't think people realize that. I know going from Justin Timberlake to Jerry the King Lawler in a lot of people's eyes is going from a hundred to zero. But Jerry the King Lawler is a legend. Mm-hmm. He is the voice. He's one of the voices of my childhood, along with Jim Ross. So and he's he's a legend in Memphis. He is. He brought me. He is the the core figure of Memphis wrestling, and Memphis wrestling is very popular even still to this day. Mm-hmm. And he still wrestles to this day. And he's like 60, 70 years old, and he had a heart attack. On, yeah, you never really on retired. TV. But, yeah. you, but but you know, it's I'm I'm excited to see him do. But does he wear the crown out there? Or he has just, to. He has to be in character. He can't just be Jerry Lawler. No, he has no, to be Jerry be the, the King. King Lawler. Yeah, he needs the whole court. So if he's just Jerry Lawler wearing like a, a regular button-up shirt and some yeah. slacks, I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. If he's got like a Memphis baseball hat on, I'm going to be really ticked off. Yeah, I will. I'm not going to lie. I will be too. All right, Captain Kurt, let's get to the swing. Now, let's focus in on the Southeastern Conference. With SEC Swing. A quick thought on every SEC matchup this weekend. All right, Hollywood, we started off with number 11, Auburn, taking on Ole Miss. Auburn coming off of a very, very tough loss to the LSU Tigers in the, quote, Tiger Bowl. And Ole Miss comes in all of a sudden. They've struggled for a while now, but they've been competitive. Close losses to A&M, close loss to Mississippi State. Again, I love to talk about the psychology of college athletes. Auburn, they were so invested emotionally for the LSU game and in comes lowly old Miss. Do we have drama today on the planes, or does Auburn get back to business? Nah, I, I think Auburn gets back to business because you know, and it, and it seems like every sequence to where they have a tough game, they they tend to bounce back, you know, very well. You know, they lose to Florida, you bounce back, and then lose to Auburn, you bounce back. They knew going into this season, it's a possibly guaranteed four losses. Now, and then Alabama, Georgia. Florida and LSU like those those were going to be some tough tasks to get by and I, and I know a lot of people are looking at it as you know this is a waste of a defense because you know this is probably one of the best defenses I think Auburn's had in years you know Kevin Stills done a great job you know with what he's done with that defense and and I know it, you know a lot of people aren't really sold now on Bo Nix you know we were all on the Bo Nix train after the Oregon win and he got that late touchdown to Seth Williams and all of a sudden he's a he's a hero he's the next Cam Newton he's this guy and that's that guy but now all of a sudden Joey Gatewood transfers he's like why are you letting him transfer for Bo Nix how dare you but it's you know I think in in a couple of seasons like maybe next year I think Bo Nix will finally get going. I think he'll be the quarterback that we expect him because I see strides of it there. And, you know, what's going to intrigue me about this game is going to be it's going to be Rich Rod's offense versus Kevin Steele's defense. Now, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a tough task, I think, for Ole Miss because look, this Auburn defense, man, is just the best in the country. I think they're better. I think, in my opinion, they're better than Florida's defense. And obviously, you know, in that game, Florida had the better offense. So and that's kind of why they escape with that victory. But 
you know, I, I think this is going to be not an easy game for Auburn. You know, I, you know, Ole Miss have shown even against Alabama that they can score points. But it's a matter of how mm-hmm. much points they're going to score. Maybe 10, 14. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a very close game in the beginning. But I think Auburn ends up running away with it. Bo Nix has a big game to prove us doubters wrong about him. Mississippi State and Arkansas today, a 3 o'clock kick on the SEC Network. Mississippi State is struggling right now. They've lost four in a row. Chad Morris, not much better. Arkansas, two and six. Chad Morris still looking for his first win in the conference here in the We'll call it the three-quarter way point of year number two. I actually think Arkansas is going to win this game today. I'm not impressed with Mississippi State. Rumors about Joe Moorhead and Rutgers going back to the Northeast. The Hogs, I think, a live underdog today in Fayetteville. I agree. I think he, I think he finally gets a win in the conference, which is seems like a long time coming, right, with Chad Morrison. He's still going to be on the hot seat. He's still probably going to be considered, you know, but that, but that rebuild is very difficult. I mean, Arkansas is a tough place to win. And then when you go from everything that Brett Bielema had from a personnel yeah. standpoint to what Chad Morris wants to do personnel-wise, that's going to take every bit of three or four years minimum, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. But it's a matter of – and they have some talent on their team. You know, Rakeem Boyd is – you know, I have 706 yards rushing this year and five touchdowns. Like, you know, he's been pretty good. Mitchell's been a good wide receiver. He has 344 yards this season. Um, they, they still haven't figured out anything at quarterback, you know, because Nick, no, not you, Nick, but their quarterback, Nick, <laughs> he's thrown 10 interceptions this season. He's not, he's not been good this season at all. So, you, you know, they, they really don't have an offensive identity. Their defense is, you know, n- not that good. So uh, this is going to be a tough game. And, and Mississippi mm-hmm. State lost a lot, you yep. know, on defense, Montez Sweat, Jeffrey Simmons, who's killing it in the NFL right now. You know, you lose Nick Fitzgerald at, at quarterback. You, you lose some some very marquee pieces on your team. So, and, and you kind of see it struggling on their schedule. But I think I think Arkansas gets the win. I think Raheem Boyd has a big game in this game, and he gets them over the hump and finally gets that that win. But you know, we'll, we may be hiring for another coach at Mississippi State. So I, I like it, man, because it's always the speculation of who will go there. And I'm just curious to see who's going to be the next coach. And I don't know if, if Mississippi State can draw one of those big-name coaches. Maybe they can. I mean, Starkville's a pretty good college football town, I think so. Yeah, they had Dan Mullen. And they, and they had Dan Mullen. And, and I, don't, I don't know, but it's, it's intriguing to see. If you got to find that hot, trendy coordinator, right? Yeah. Like that, that's who you want to target. Because Dan Mullen was that guy when he was the offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer. Yeah, absolutely. And also you have to take into account that you're going to hire a coach that has to compete with Nick Saban, Coach Ed Ogeron, and Jimbo Fisher, you know, weekend. Week it's out. the toughest division and, in college and, football. And, 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 and Gus. And Gus Malzahn. Yep. So that, that's a tough task to deal with, especially if you're, you know, an up-and-coming first-year head coach. But I'll be intrigued if Joe Moorhead leaves, go to Rutgers, and, you know, lose 10 games there. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, we get a, a new coach here in the SEC. So I'll, I'll look forward to it. All right. So we will get to the Vols in UAB. We'll also get to Vandy, South Carolina. We're going to give both of those teams their just due in the 10 o'clock hour, a full segment dedicated to both the Vols and Vandy. But I mentioned another rumor, another report, last segment. So 24-7 Sports put this out yesterday, about 13 hours ago. Rutgers interviews former Tennessee head coach and current Alabama offensive analyst Butch Jones for their head coaching vacancy. You know, it's funny. When I think of Butch, I think of you know slogans and phrases and brick catchphrases, brick. brick by brick. And I'm thinking, 
There was nobody better. Now, granted, the guy did have success, but Greg Schiano, when he was with Rutgers, and speaking of the Vols and Rutgers and Greg Schiano and Schiano Sunday, Schiano used to say, quote, keep chopping wood. That was his selling point to Ray Rice and Kenny Britt when he had those really good Rutgers teams about a decade ago. So Butch Jones, with his slogans, he'll fit right in in Piscataway, New Jersey. I would love to see that, man. Uh, Butch Jones, I would love to see him as a head coach again, man. He was a he was a soundbite gym. Oh, he's in the the Saban Coaching Rehabilitation Clinic. You go to Tuscaloosa for a few years, and then all of a sudden your uh, your profile expands. No, absolutely. You've seen it with Mike Loxley. We see it with Josh Gaddis as offensive coordinator at Michigan. Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian. So, and that's probably why he's there too. You know, Steve's trying to get his job because that Atlanta Falcons stint was not too good for his resume. So, obviously, he goes back to Alabama. You have a high-powered offense, and then you can say, hey, you know, I helped out this offense. So, yep. you know, it's it's a coaching rehabilitation center. It helps out a lot. Hugh Freeze almost went there to Alabama. Rich Rod almost went there. So it's – um and, and look, it's funny looking back on it because we used – like in Tuscaloosa, people used to make fun of Butch Jones because he was a laughingstock, and obviously because of the Tennessee-Alabama rivalry, but he was just a laughingstock at, at Tennessee – and now all of a sudden, but you know what though he's not a, he wasn't a laughing stock when he won nine games back to back years. No, he wasn't. He, he was people very, tend to forget that he was very respected, but he was still like just just a weird coach yeah. and, and from an outside. Like he, he went, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a weird coach, and it's funny now that he's in Tuscaloosa. He's wearing the Alabama windbreakers during the game, and people love him in Tuscaloosa. I saw him one time walking downtown Tuscaloosa, the nicest guy in the world, and. And he's, it's funny because he goes from, you know, Tennessee wanting to beat him every year to now he's smoking cigar with players every two years, so, mm-hmm. you know, or every year. So it, it's just funny how that transition makes of like, we love him now, even though he's right. washing Nick Saban's car. You know, he's, he's doing a great job doing it. All right. We got Bill Bender from the Sporting News. He's going to join us coming up in hour two of Saturday Tailgate. We will come back and get to the game of the week, Florida and Georgia. We will go in depth with the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. And by the the way last night i had the world's smallest indoor cocktail party it was just me and tito's vodka it was it was a, it was a big bottle. It was a hell of a party that was a big bottle of tito's though. exactly how, how, how far is that bottle i'm gonna i'm gonna leave that off the air okay. we'll, we'll just okay. we'll just put that on the back burner for now <laughs> don't worry about that all right we'll come back florida georgia next Saturday tailgate here on ESPN 102.5. The game, Nikhil Marquise Munson rolling right along. The coach's corner coming up in less than 15 minutes. You'll hear from Ed Orgeron, Gus Malzahn, Kirby Smart, Mario Cristobal, P.J. Fleck, and Nick Saban on this week's Coach's Corner. Let's get to the game of the week, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Florida and Georgia in Jacksonville, Florida today. Big one, elimination game. We talked about it about 30 minutes ago in our Saturday Spotlight. But let's look at a couple of other uh, tidbits within the matchup itself, and let's go to the quarterback. You mentioned Kyle Trask. I want to go to Georgia for a second and discuss Jake Fromm because this was a guy that some people thought could be a dark horse Heisman candidate. A lot of people think, you know, a relatively solid NFL draft prospect. And he's had some issues this year. And he's coming off of a game where if you look at the last Georgia game and you pull up the box score, it's not a misprint. He had less than 40 yards passing. Now, everybody said at media days that Georgia's offensive line is going to be really, really good, which they are. You know, the Georgia offense will be just fine. But this journalist, this reporter right here, said, watch out because Riley Ridley's gone, 
Miko Hardman's gone. Isaac Nod is gone. Holyfield is gone. You just don't lose all of those elite level weapons and some better than others and just not miss the beat. I, I think that's impacted Jake Fromm a little bit. Yeah, it has. And when you have a young receiving core, now, it, you know, losing Holyfield it was a big loss, but I think, you know, Zamir White and the, and the rest of that backup running back, you know, core along with DeAndre Swift is still pretty good this season. The, the running backs haven't lost a step, but having young wide receivers has really played a factor of Jake Fromm doesn't seem like he trusts throwing the ball downfield, and that's been his problem this year. They've only had one receiver reach over 100 yards this season. They, When, when you look at the top 20 in receiving in the SEC, Georgia does not have a player in the top 20 in receiving yards. And, and you know, I'll... Obviously, it's a young core. You know, they still have chance to you know jail, but there's not there's there's not a weapon that I think Jake Fromm trusts in that receiving core. It's not like you know. Obviously, we know about you know the receiving core at LSU. We know about Alabama's receiving core, but you know Ryan Helinski got a guy like Brian Edwards and you know Byron Edwards, and you know you, you look at you know some of these other teams that you know even with Tennessee and no matter who's their quarterback guess what they're going to have Jawan Jennings to catch the football and and that's the thing that separates their offensive core from the rest of college football and the rest of the SEC is he doesn't have a main target in that receiving core that he can rely on and mm-hmm. and I think that's been the problem and maybe that's been his problem of throwing the ball downfield is maybe he just doesn't trust his wide receivers enough and hasn't gelled with them well enough to to get that when you look at this matchup, I, I feel like Georgia is the better team in really every department. Coaching-wise, I would go Kirby over Dan Mullen, but not by much. Uh, Jake Fromm, you know, I know right now Trask has been the hotter quarterback, the better quarterback, but Jake Fromm's a winner. Jake Fromm has been around for multiple years, and obviously the trenches, you know, I would lean Georgia. Defenses, relatively close. Where I think Florida has the decisive advantage is the skill players on offense, whether that's Hammond, whether that is Swain, Kadarius, Tony. I mean, you look at Florida's skill players, I think they have the better weapons. Now, I'll take Swift over Pirine, but on the perimeter, I think Kyle Trask has more weapons to work with. Now, absolutely. When you look at both of the quarterbacks, Jake Fromm, and you look at Kyle Trask, I think the better quarterback in this game, in my opinion, is Kyle Trask. And it's only because of the foundation he has around him. And it's not just his weapons, it's the coaching staff. It, it's Dan Mullen being able to play within whoever is playing under center skill set and game planning for a defense well enough to get some offense going. So, you know, I think Kyle Trask is the better quarterback as far as the foundation around him. He's not going to be the better quarterback prospect. He's not better quarterback long term. You know, the offensive line, obviously, I would give the edge for Jake Fromm. Running backs, obviously, I'll give the edge to Georgia. But when you look at those wide receivers that you just named, when you look at a game plan that's being brought off by Dan Mullen himself, then I think Kyle Trask is in a better situation to be able to be the better quarterback in this game because he's going to have a defense that's going to get him stops and, and that's going to be, you know bring him back on the field to put some points on the board. He has wide receivers that he trusts. He has a tight end that's really good. Mm-hmm. And then he also has a running game that he can balance out. And he has a game plan from his coach that I don't think Georgia has. I think losing Jim Chaney, maybe that played a little bit of a factor in how, you know, bad this Georgia offense has been this year. And we make, you know, we look at Jim Chaney now and we look at how what he's doing at Tennessee. And obviously it took some time to, you know, figure out, you know, Maurer has finally stepped in and he's kind of, 
you know, done what Jim Chaney's wanting to do on offense. But, you know, in the beginning, we looked at it as, oh, that wasn't a big loss for Georgia because look how bad Jim Chaney is. But in, in honesty, man, Jim Chaney fit what they wanted to do on offense, and that's a big loss for him. And you can tell this season by looking at Jake Fromm in this offense. Okay, we know this game is played on a neutral site. It's, a, it's in Jacksonville each and every year. We're going to hear from Kirby Smart on the whole concept of a home-and-home. Home. We'll do that in the coach's corner coming up next, but... Are you a fan of the game being played in Jacksonville? Because it's an unbelievable setting. Georgia fans, Florida fans, it's not a difficult commute to get to. Do you like the concept of the neutral field? Quote neutral field. No, no I, like, I like it. I mean, obviously, and then I'm not you know, an alum or a fan of either team, so obviously you know, my opinion of it is a lot different than someone who actually goes to that game every single year. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they feel about it, but... You know, I look at it as I, I love 50-50 games where the where the crowd is 50-50, not where, you know, one crowd is overstepping the other one because obviously if you go to Athens, there's going to be a lot more Athens fans or Georgia fans than there are going to be Florida fans and vice versa if you do a home-and-home. Home. To me, and, you know, obviously it, it play, it's different when you're doing Alabama-Georgia in-state rivals, and it's, it's different. The rivalry is a lot different when you're doing home-and-home home then. But with this game, it's just – the the feeling is different, man, and and Jacksonville is a fun city to be in. I think it's an easy commute for for fans to get to. There's a lot of memories in this game in Jacksonville. I remember the Gator Stomp game where No. Sean Marino had the celebration after the first touchdown of the game, and Mark Ritt told everybody to celebrate. So they oh, he emptied the bench. Yeah, so so he can get a penalty, and 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 you know they boat raced, you know. Florida that year, and then Florida came back the next year and, and beat the brakes off of them. Yeah. And then that Jeff Driscoll game where you know he gave the ball to Jordan Reed, and then Jarvis Jones punched the ball out, and then you know they won that mm-hmm. game, and they end up going to the SEC championship game to where they played Alabama. It, there's a lot of memories in this game. I, look, if if it works for the fans, if the fan, if this is what the fans of Georgia want, it, I'm fine with it. But to me, it just I don't like it. Like I like really. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I I don't have an issue with any neutral site games in college football. Even in like week one, when we had these big kickoff classic type games in Jerry's Palace in Dallas, I, I get it. The environment is not as intense as a home field. Like Georgia, Florida in the swamp would be certainly ridiculous. The same when they go to Athens. But like some of these week one matchups in college football, remember uh, seven, eight years ago, Michigan and Alabama played when Denard Robinson was the quarterback. They played that kickoff game on like August 31st in, in the Cowboys stadium, and I loved it. No, I do. And I, I like games. Like, and even if we look back to this season when we look at Oregon and Auburn, like yeah. that was a good neutral site game. And, you know, like. Look, keep neutrals. Just keep college football the way it is, man. I, I actually went to a kickoff classic when I, when I was living in Pennsylvania, twelve years old. It was nineteen ninety six. I went to the USC Penn State game. It was actually called wow. the the kickoff classic. They played it at the Meadowlands, the old Meadowlands where the Giants and Jets used to play. And it was USC had Keyshawn Johnson. And I forget who was the. This was post Kerry Collins, post Kajana Carter for Penn State, and then two years later, I went back to it in '98. It was Florida State, Texas A and M. Peter Warwick for Florida State, and do you remember the Texas A and M linebacker? He played for the Cowboys. You remember Dat Win? 
Yeah, I do. Does that I name remember, resonate? Yeah, I do remember that name. So, I mean, I've always loved these neutral site games. I mean, that was played in a pro stadium, and it was just awesome. Yeah, and, and, and see, that's the thing. Now, there are certain games that I don't want to see on a neutral site. Obviously, Alabama-Auburn, because that's an in-state rival. Even if we were to go Texas-USC, I wouldn't want to see that game. I would love to see that game home and home. You know, there are certain games, but this one in particular, and the, the years, the memories that's been in Jacksonville, you know, the the largest cocktail party and, and all this, everything that's involved in this game, I want to keep this game in Jacksonville. That's just me. You know, I don't know how Florida fans feel about that. And I don't know if, if Kirby feels like this is a away game for him mm. because it's really not. You know, it's you're, you're getting 50-50. So I, I like this game. I want to keep it in Jacksonville. Elliot sends us a tweet. He says he's a UF uh, fan, so a Florida fan. He says he loves the neutral site. So there's one Gator fan perspective we will come back coach's corner coming up next here on saturday tailgate saturday tailgate here on espn 1025 the game nick and marquise with you week 10 as we lead you right up until kickoff today college football has rolled the calendar over to november here we come boys time for the coach's corner where we give you some audio from around the country, all the coaches of importance going into all the games of relevance, and we start because everybody's counting down the days. Alabama-LSU, it'll look nothing like the 2011 game of the century that ended 9-6. Missed field goals, great defenses, inept quarterbacks, none of that this time around. Yeah, let's hope Let's hope uh, LSU can get to the 50-yard line. It'll <laughs> look like a Big 12 game. Points, points, points. Bet the over. I don't care what they said of that. If it's 72, it's going over. Just bet it. Here's Ed Orgeron talking about the improved offense at LSU heading into Alabama. You know, for us to get 200 yards rushing on a great Auburn defensive line means we made significant improvement on the offensive line in our running game. And I thought our defensive line played pretty well against Auburn's rushing attack. We have to win the line of scrimmage against Alabama. You know, I think our team's feeling pretty good. We have great leadership with Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Grant Delbert. This is a seasoned group, a veteran group, but they also know we have to play our very best to win. The biggest challenge for both Ed Orgeron and Nick Saban, it's not X's and O's, it's not scheme, it's not film work, it's not how you practice because everybody's going to be ready for this game. It's how do you control the message, the environment, keeping your kids calm, not letting them buy into the hype on social media, reading everything, listening to everything, tuning out all the noise. I think that is the number one key in this game because it feels like a Super Bowl. No, absolutely, it does. And and this is a big opportunity for LSU, and this is the, a big opportunity for Coach Ed Odron, a guy who was – who we talk about was on the hot seat a couple of years ago. Now he has an opportunity to make it to a college football playoff. And and that's what the team should should have. That's the mentality that they should have. The, the, there's a lot of people calling for our coach. We lost to this team last year where we thought that, you know, we were a top five team and they beat us. They boat raced us on our own home field. So, you know, we, we got to come out here. We got to play with some kind of intensity. We know we have a good offense. You know, we know they have a good offense. We know that this is going to be a shootout game. This is going to be a 42-45 type, you know, style of game. But I think they go in with the mentality knowing that the college football playoffs is in their grasp and it's theirs to lose. And, you know, I think they go into Tuscaloosa and, you know, going in that tough environment and 
maybe they can get the win if they have that mentality of just, look, we'll just treat this like any other game that we've mm-hmm. played all year. Okay, moving on. Coach's Corner. Let's go to Gus Malzahn. Here is the Auburn Tiger head coach talking about quarterback Joey Gatewood transferring. Joey Gatewood has uh, entered the transfer portal and decided to move on. Um, I really appreciate Joey. You know, the thing about it, when he didn't win the job earlier, he chose to stick around. You know, most quarterbacks this day and time would have would have quit, and he didn't do that. And he's just at a point now where he feels like, you know, he wants to be a starting quarterback and just feels like he needs to start looking for schools now so he can, you know, find the right spot, and I respect that. Um, he's a fine young man and really appreciate everything Joey's done for our program, and everybody in our program will be rooting for him moving forward. He uh, he came to me uh, yesterday before practice and said he'd been thinking about it over the weekend. Just um, you know, felt strong that he needed the, the time to you know find the right spot. But he just felt strong that he needed uh, the time right now to make sure and uh, you know get it right and find find the place that you know he can be a starting quarterback. That's his goal and that's really what he wants. And I respect that. Clearly, Joey Gatewood knows that this is Bo Nix's show, and it's going to be Bo Nix's show for the next two years because Bo Nix is only a freshman, so we're going to see him for two more seasons after this year. And I don't blame Joey Gatewood. Look, your goal is to be a starting quarterback. You want to play and be on the field each and every Saturday. I've always been one of the guys that have said, look, you want to transfer? You lost your chance to start? You want to start elsewhere? Go get yours, man. You only have a couple of years to do this. Yeah, absolutely, man. You only get. It's not like the NFL to where if you're not starting, you know, you can wait till your contract expires and then and walk in free agency and go sign to another team. You know, your your obligation is for four years for whoever college football program that you decide to go to, and it, you know, and it's tough. And I know a lot of people is like you know, these kids are soft these days. They just want to leave when when the going gets tough. No, it's not the case, man. It's it's. You know, they want to put themselves in the best situation to better their lives, to better their families' lives. But if you're not starting, that means you're not getting film. And if you're not getting film, you're not getting NFL you know, prospects looking at you. So, no, look, I understand completely, and obviously certain situations are different with – you know, with Justin Fields at Georgia, and then with Tate Martell, and mm-hmm. we look at different situations and different scenarios on why kids transfer. You know, look, you come in with a freshman quarterback. You both are freshman quarterbacks. They chose one freshman over the other. Eventually, you just got to be like, man, look, I have two, maybe three more years ahead of me to play this game of college football, so I want to make the most of it by going somewhere where I'm actually going to get to play. Georgia head coach Kirby Smart. We discussed this last segment, Florida, Georgia, being played in Jacksonville. Let's take a listen to what Kirby had to say about the neutral site and the possibility of a home-and-home. I think the first misnomer there is that I that, that I don't want the game in Jacksonville. That's not a case for me. I, I look at it through. Like, I love playing. That's one of my, my best memories ever as a player, being able to do that. I think the landscape of college football is such now that your home and homes are so valuable as you go out and try to find other teams to play. When you play these other teams that we're playing out in the future, you got a home and home, so you got one less home game. The team that's used to buy to come play you, you're going to have one less home game. So now with us, every other year it may be two less. Um, so it makes it tougher um, in that perspective. But um, I also think the financial significance of this game and also the historical significance of this game weighed in the factors. And the administration felt like that was the best thing to do, and I'm 100% on board with it. I'm a team player, and I always said once the decision was made, it's made. It's a two-year commitment. We'll continue to see where it's going in college football. So I think as you look across the board, you see more and more 
kids committing on these official visit weekends where they go to a home game and they're, they're really important weekends, you know, we just have one less shot at those. That's the toughest thing. I'm totally on board with it in Jacksonville and staying in Jacksonville, although I wouldn't mind this caveat. What if they decided to do just a home-and-home home for two years and then they return to Jacksonville three years later? So one in Athens, one in the Swamp, and then we're back to Jacksonville. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And and look, I agree with what, what Kirby's assessment is on the situation of you want to use this weekend as a recruiting tool of, mm-hmm. hey, look at Athens. Hey, look at Gainesville. This is what we're doing here. And I understand that from both sides. And I think, you know, I think Dan Mullen agrees with him on that aspect of it's a big weekend for recruiting and we get one less opportunity to showcase like I don't want to show kids, hey, this is how we boat race you know, Ole Miss. This is how we beat them every single year. And Athens, like, here, here you go. Come to our program. Like, you know, obviously you want the bigger the game, the bigger the recruits, the, the bigger the atmosphere, and you want to show them that, look, if you want to play in a very hostile, like, you know, tough college football atmosphere and be in front of these fans that are diehard. You got the guys dressed up as the Legion of Doom in the <laughs> audience. Like, if this is what you want to play for, then come to Athens. And, and I understand that aspect, but and obviously you get less chances to do that when you have one of your biggest games in a neutral site. But I, I want to keep it there for the tradition standpoint. It's not about the recruiting standpoint. Georgia and Florida are still top five, top ten programs in recruiting. It's not like a kid's going, you know what made me want to go to Athens watching that Georgia and Florida game. No, it's winning football games, and it's the coaching staff. And, and it still hasn't hurt them in recruiting, so you know why change that now? So college game day is in Memphis today, right, for Memphis and SMU. Let's take a listen to another coach from around the country who wants college game day to come to his program. Minnesota head coach P.J. Fleck making an impassioned plea. Please come to Minneapolis. We have never hosted college game day. All due respect to Alabama and LSU. I have no idea what's going on with them right now. But I I can tell you this. You can go to them any year. Pick a year. Pick a game. You can go to them every game of the season if you would like. College game day is about unique stories, about unique places, about unique moments. That's what they say they're about. An undefeated Penn State team, an undefeated Minnesota Golden Gopher team, in this Twin City area where they host the Super Bowl, the Final Four, next is game day, naturally. That's why I think they should come here. And I think our whole city would rally behind it. And if they thought they had large crowds before, wait till 4 million people show up. Because as Chip wrote, if we do go 8-0 three weeks ago, this would be Gopher Town, USA. Am I right, Chip? I read your stuff. We're 8-0, Chip. we got to find a way to make this Gopher Town, USA. So college game day, come on with it. PJ, I love the passion, <laughs> but the reality is you said unique stories. Is there anything more unique than LSU actually having an offense? Because yeah. that's a rarity, and that's why game day will go to see Alabama LSU. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it's the biggest game of the weekend, and I hate that he had to throw Chip into that. Chip's probably looking at him like, yo, dog, like, look, this is not my fight, man. This is you. You know, you want game day out here. But the narrative of, look, we had a Super Bowl. We've had a Final Four. We deserve, you know, you know that's not that has nothing to do with the city of, you know, or the state of Minnesota. Like, that has, you know, bringing it's, – it's like when – you know, we always are a big component of bringing the national championship or college football playoff to Nashville. Yet we had an NFL draft, we have the SEC basketball tournament, and, you know, we still won't get it. But, and, and, you know, we're not complaining about it. Memphis is a team that they got 
college game day. I think this is the first time they've been to college game day since 2015, but guess what? They've been consistently winning games. Since the Paxton Lynch days, they are consistently winning. Minnesota, you're new to this dance. You're new here. Hello, how's it going? My name's Minnesota. You don't just start asking and demanding for stuff. Your first year, you're an 8-0 team, and all of a sudden you want us to just cater to you. And, oh, we need to go to Minnesota now. They're 8-0. You're just saying that you want it there because maybe you won't be 8-0 next year. So it, that tells me as a head coach you have no confidence that you'll ever get to this point ever in your career again. So you want to seize the moment and seize the opportunity now while you got it. So, no, we're, we're fine. We're going to go to Tuscaloosa. We're going to go to Dreamland Barbecue, and we're going to get some Cajun food from some LSU tailgates, and we're going to watch Alabama and LSU because guess what? That is the biggest game of the weekend, not you know, Penn State versus you, because guess what? That game may end up being lopsided, and then all of a sudden we're like, why do we come here again? Hey, Big Ten, stay in your lane. Just have the Big Ten Network show up. Do a little live imposter impersonation of college game day. Send out, I mean, who, who's on uh, the Big Ten Network? Do we even know? No, do, do they have their studio show? <laughs> I don't know. Is Ron Zook still hosting that show? <laughs> I don't Send know. Ron Zook out there. Give me a break, Minnesota-Penn State. Carl Could be John, a good game. I'll Carl, gamble on it. College game day ain't going there. Cardell Jones can be a guest analyst on there if he wants. You know, he's, a, he's a Big Ten guy. Exactly. Just bring all these former Big Ten guys. I hate the Big Ten. All right, coming up next, we will kick off hour number two. Normally we do in or out, but we're going to skip in or out this week, and we are going to take our best shot at what we believe, not what our personal rankings are, but what we believe the committee will reveal for the first installment of the college football playoff rankings when they come out early this upcoming week in primetime on ESPN television. We'll do that when we come back on Saturday Tailgate.